You know, the staff and I have really come together. <laughs> We've also decided we're going to get t-shirts that say, that was funny, and we're going to give them to you so you can wear them, because that's my new mantra, that was funny. Hey, I just want, before we get into the word, and if you want to turn in your Bible, if you have a Bible, uh, which apparently Pastor Zach really thinks you should have a Bible. So hopefully you do, but we're going to look at Exodus chapter three in a moment. Um, but before we get there, by the way, I'm Jeff. If we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here with my lovely wife, uh, Amy. We have been busy all week with graduation uh, and open house last night. So we're a little bit like, <laughs> like that. I feel, I feel pretty rubbery right now, you know. Um, but uh, Chloe graduated this week, and it's been a great, a great week. And she's real excited. We're excited to get up here. And speaking of that, uh, we move on June 15th, and so that's two weeks from this Wednesday. We would really like some help. So <laughs> if, uh, if you're available that afternoon, uh, evening, morning, whatever, we close at 9 o'clock on the new house. We intend to start unloading by 10, so if you want to... I don't know how long it takes to close. Mark's not here, so we'll give it a half hour, right? And, uh, uh, but we hope that you, if you're available, we'd love to have you come out. If not, we totally understand. Or if you're on vacation, don't feel guilty about it. We get it. We do. We do. Uh, and probably when you move, I'll be on vacation too. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I've, I've helped so many people move. It's crazy. How many of you have helped lots of people move? How many of you have no desire to come help me unload a truck? I totally, I totally get it. And I'm not mad at you for that because I feel the same way. I don't want to load my own truck, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so that's going to happen on June 15th. If you do want to come help us, you can put that in your calendar and I'm sure we'll have uh, more information coming soon. Uh, I want to say just before that on, on June the 12th, I know we're doing our evening thing that Pastor Jim mentioned, but uh, we're also starting a new series in the book of James that day. And uh, I, I say that because I want you to start reading it and, uh, and, and just kind of digesting it a little bit, maybe letting the Holy Spirit say some uh, preliminary things to you as we get into it. We're going to be in it till the end of September. So we've got lots of time to work on it and work through it and, and just see what God has to say. But I believe that uh, the book of James is all about living our faith actively. Uh, not just having an internal faith uh, or a faith that we come to church and live it out, but it's a faith that, you know, it's, it's where that, if, if you only hear the word, but you're not doers of the word, then you don't have, actually have faith. That's what it says. So uh, it talks about our, our mouth. How many of you could use some help with your mouth? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to, I don't, yeah, we could, we, we need help with that. And so it's, it's about lending control of our lives to the Holy Spirit because he's better and smarter than we are to help us with all those things in our lives that we do. So uh, I'm excited about the book of James. I've never preached through the book of James before, so it'll be new to me and you. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm excited about it. So I, I say that to say it's going to be the summer. How many of you know that it's summer break right now? Praise the Lamb of God, right? But, uh, so I get, I get that through the summer, you know, I hope you go on vacation. I hope you go do something fun. Uh, I hope you, you know, whatever is in your heart to do, just don't forget about us. And when you're in town, please be here. Uh, you can cook out and lounge by the pool in the afternoon, but come and join us together. Bible's very clear in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, when it says, let us not give up meeting together and all the more as we see the day approaching. 
That all the more part is like where we're living right now. Do you believe that? Jesus is coming back. You believe that? I hope you believe that because we're closer than we've ever been. And I see the things align. I'm not going to teach revelation, but I see those things aligning and uh, that I believe Jesus is coming back soon. And so I want to be uh, connected to the body of Christ. And that's what that verse is about. Don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. So can I just say to you, let's not get in the habit of not meeting together. We had enough of that in COVID, right? You we took that off. Now let's meet together and let's let the Lord do the things he wants to do in our lives. So that's, I hope you don't feel like I'm scolding you. I'm not at all. Uh, I'm just encouraging you that uh, if you're, if you're around, if you're home, uh, you know, be here with us. If you're not, I understand. Please go enjoy your family, have vacation, do your thing. I, I get it. Uh, but when you're here, be here and uh, be part of us. If you're not here, certainly you can join us online. You can watch the service anytime through the week. And uh, I would love it if you just kind of keep up with what God is doing and saying to us through the book of James. So uh, be sure and do that. Lastly, before I get into the message, I want to say happy birthday to my wife, Amy. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but. And since I'm the pastor and I have the microphone, I could do what I want. Uh, that's not actually true, but nonetheless. Uh, so I, I could not do anything that I do without my wife and her birthday is on Tuesday. And uh, so happy birthday, honey. I know you're glad that I did this. <laughs> I will not sing the song, don't start it, no, nope, but happy birthday. And if you ask me privately, I'll tell you how old she is. <laughs> Exodus chapter three, we're in a series of the last two Sundays of the series called First Things First, and it's just kind of, I'm trying to just show you some of the things that are in my heart as we build our, our church and build forward for what God is saying in the future and the things that God is doing. And uh, I, I really want to just talk to you today about, an, I mean, like a super important topic to me and something that I feel like God has placed on me uh, to lead in the kingdom of God in this season of my life, in this season of the church, uh, and that is the call of God, stewarding the call of God in the lives uh, of my own life, but also your life, um, and those of you that I believe God is actually nudging you and prodding you for greater things than you're doing now. There's a call on many of your lives that far exceeds where you're at today and what you're serving today. And that's not, again, not a scolding thing, it's simply this. I want to see this church be a church where it is normal and natural for people to respond regularly to the call of God on their life and step into that call as scary as it will be, as risky as it will look, but being willing to step into the call that God has on your life and walking in those mantles, if you will, that's the Old Testament image is a mantle, but walking in the call that God has on your life, whatever it is, it's not all vocational ministry, but some of it is. And I've asked the Lord uh, and will continue to ask God to call out of this church, missionaries, ministers, pastors, church planters, leaders, uh, college and career people, whatever. I, mean, I got a whole list I'll share with you later, but I'm asking God, and I believe some of you have already sensed 
God, not just in this moment, but through your life, you have sensed God pricking. I'm prophesying over you right now, just so you know. You have sensed God pricking your heart towards something like that. Like you're dying to do some of those things, but you've been unwilling or hesitant to take the risk step. It's also called a faith step to step into something that God may have for you. And there's a hesitancy to it because it will jack up your life. And I believe that there are some even today are watching that's you. And even as I said, say that you feel it, you feel it. So in my life uh, and Amy's life, really my life uh, starts before hers. You may have imagined that, uh, you know, I had a life before I met Amy, not much of one though. Cause I met her when I was 14, but whatever. Um, when I was about five years old, I may have shared some of this with you before. I never remember now what I've shared before, so just bear with me. But when I was about five years old on Sunday nights, uh, we would have great worship. How many of you remember Sunday night services? Did you know that the church used to have Sunday night church? I just, you know, we haven't had that in years, but uh, the church did, not just this one, but lot, every church did. And in fact, Sunday night tended to be more attended than Sunday morning. And so my grandfather would preach and we'd worship and he'd preach and I'd play with my trucks and whatever during the service and uh, true, true story. And uh, he would come get me towards the end of the altar call because people would come to the altar and they would pray for, you know, an hour sometimes just seeking the Lord at the altar on a Sunday night service. And grandpa would always come and he'd get me and I was four or five years old and he would first, he'd grab my hand and, and I think there's a picture somewhere of him walking on the altar with me holding my hand. And, and I just, I didn't care. I was like, Oh, this is amazing. You know, but eventually he'd take me on stage. And that was when pastors sat on the platform. Everybody, you remember that? And he would, and we had pews. We had like pews that were like this big. And uh, every Sunday night for about three years, I would kneel down with my grandfather at his pew and get saved. And we would pray. I mean, I had a lot of sin when I was four, you know? <laughs> there was a lot of questionable things in my life that required salvation every Sunday night. And that's what my grandpa must have thought. He really wanted to be sure I was saved. And so every Sunday night, and I remember, you know, as, as I grew older, this happened for two or three years. And, and I remember as I got older, like I started to kind of be like, yeah, I was excited to get saved every week. I was excited to talk to Jesus about how I'd stuck my tongue out at my mom. That's a true story. And, and, and I, I, you know, I just, I, I was just, I felt like I was, as I look back now, I was, he was teaching me how to say yes to God. How to not hold back, even at the age of four or five, not hold back what I, what I thought or what I wanted, but really to say yes to God. So fast forward a little bit. I was 13 years old, standing in a church in Logansport, Indiana, one of our Assemblies of God churches, and, and uh, uh, singing in the choir. We had, we had a youth choir at, the, at that time. This is the early 90s. And uh, I was singing and standing, and it was the first time in my life I really sensed God saying to me, Jeff, I, I want you to go into full-time vocational ministry. I never really thought that before or felt that. I didn't grow up wanting to be a preacher like my grandpa. I wanted to play for the Cubs. I mean, that was my dream, right? Uh, and that dream had to die. I know, it was tragic. It had to die so that I could be standing here with you. But when I was 13, it was the first time I really felt that call of God in my life. And, you know, as a 13-year-old, you don't really know how to process that. But I knew that if God called and I said yes, that God would help me. Fast forward again to seven more years when I was 20 years old and 
I was playing basketball at Central Bible College. I was a lot skinnier than I am now. That's a true story and funny. <laughs> and I'm at Bible College preparing to answer this call of God that I sensed when I was 13. And I sat on a Sunday, again, a Sunday night church service in my home church and a missionary named Sam Pavlak preached that day. He's from Poland, uh, missionary to Poland. And I didn't know Sam. My grandfather had known his family for you know decades, but I didn't know him. And I couldn't tell you what he preached about, but I know when he gave the altar call, I ran. I mean, I ran physically, literally ran. I don't know if I could run now. I'd rupture an Achilles, but <laughs> I could not get to the altar fast enough to respond to the burning in my spirit. And frankly, at that time in my life, I'm in Bible college, but I'm not really living all the way for God. I've got some compromises in my life. I've got some stupid, anybody ever had the spirit of stupid? Come on, you. I had about a year of the spirit of stupid in my life. And, and uh, I was frustrated with myself. You know, I was, it's just whatever. And I, that, I, I look at that night when I was 20 as my actual salvation moment where I truly said to God, I don't want to run my life. I don't want to figure this out on my own. I really want to serve you. I really want to be the man of God that you've called me to be. And I want to go and do the things that you've called me to do. I ran to the altar to say yes to God. The reality is this morning, uh, and I won't, but I could talk all day about the times in my life. And in, uh, once Amy and I were married, our lives where we said yes to Jesus. We've always tried to say yes to him. When he asked us to adopt the four kids from Poland, we said yes with great fear and trepidation. When he asked us to take a church, a small church in Plainfield, Indiana, and leave our great youth pastor, it's much easier to be a youth pastor than a senior pastor. I'm just telling you, it is easy. It's easy to be a young adult pastor and wear flip-flops on Sunday morning. <laughs> I love you, buddy. <laughs> I didn't know what I was signing up for. And you know, most of the time when we say yes to Jesus, we don't know what we're signing up for, do we? We don't know all the things that he's going to do. We don't know all the difficulties and the pain and, and the issues that we're going to face. We don't even know the victories and the successes that we're going to experience. Why? Because he doesn't tell us those things. He just says, I've called you to go. But we have tried in our lives, and I think overall we've succeeded to say yes to God. And, you know, some people look at our lives, and, and Amy and I have this conversation often where we go, you know, we're not, we, we don't see ourselves as anything special or anything unique or whatever, but we know that like the, just the fact that we have eight children, people go, you're nuts. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? You know, or we've had people say to us, I wish that I could have the faith uh, that you have. I wish that I could walk in, you know, the, the places that you walk and things like that. And we are, we don't really know how to respond to that because we don't see ourselves that way. Deanne. Like we're just people who try to say yes to God. And when God says something to us and, and offers something to us, uh, we just try to go, yeah, God, I want to I wanna follow you. I want to serve you. That's what I signed up for. It's not always been easy. And it's not always been pleasant. The challenges of serving God and saying yes to God are massive. But the faithfulness of God is massiver. Some of you are confused because that's not a real word. But I'll say it again. The faithfulness of God is massiver. It is 
Where are my English teachers? Don't shun me. The faithfulness of God when we say yes to him is more massive than whatever the parameters of the calamity that we may face. There's nothing that we ever face that is bigger than God. And maybe that's a naive faith. Maybe that's something that, uh, you know, I should be smart, more smarter about. That's not probably not the right way to say that either. But I just believe if we say yes to God, that he's faithful and just to come alongside of us and walk with us in our yes saying. Bill Hybels, unfortunately, had a moral failure, but he said some really great things. So I'm going to tell you something he said. He said, "What, what wrecks the heart of someone who loves God is often the very thing God wants to use in their life to do something that under normal circumstances they would never attempt to do. In other words, when God wrecks your heart for something, when he offers you an opportunity to say yes to his calling, and it wrecks your heart and it messes you up, like when I ran to the altar and wept for an hour and prayed and cried and worshiped and all these things happened to me in that moment, what wrecked my heart We're the lost people in the world. We're the orphans in the world. We're the people who, if they never connected to God and never walked in what God had for them, the danger was is that they would miss the ultimate call to be with him in heaven. And I could not and still cannot fathom that idea that there are people that we just cannot reach or we will not reach because we just don't want to or don't feel like it. Man, that messes me up. And I want to see people come to Christ. These are sort of burning bush moments in our lives. I think that's sort of what Moses experienced. The life of Moses is pretty interesting if you read about it in the scriptures and uh, really study his life. You know, he's born a Hebrew, he's a Jew, uh, but because of what was happening with Pharaoh, and by the way, uh, Pharaoh tried to murder all the babies. You know, if you remember the story, uh, he got wind of a prophet being born in Israel, one that God would use to set his people free. Well, the Jews were slaves in Egypt and were building wonderful things and doing all the work that the Egyptians didn't want to do. And uh, so Pharaoh got wind that a baby was going to be born that was going to lead the, the Israelites to freedom, and he could not handle that. So he decided to go and murder all the little babies, all the boys, especially uh, two years old or under, something that Herod, uh, King Herod in the New Testament, mimicked when he heard about the coming Messiah. It's just interesting parallel. That's all I'm saying. And so he was hidden, Moses was hidden in a river and picked up by the princess. What's interesting is as the enemy tried to eradicate the call of God and what God intended to do for his people, God hid his, his solution right under his nose. Like that's only something God would do. I'll show you, Pharaoh. So he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, had all the good things of Egypt. I mean, he lived the Egyptian dream. That's a joke. That was funny. It just came to me right now. 
He lived the dream, man. He had everything he could have wanted. Everything was wonderful until one day he decided to go visit his people and he walked out, and you know the story, he walked out as a young man and he saw an Egyptian beating uh, a, a, an Israelite and, uh, and decided something in him clicked, something, some switch flipped in him and he couldn't stand it any longer. And so he went and you know the story, he murdered the Egyptian. Now, I'm not saying the call of God should include murder. I, I really think that's a bad idea, you know? But that's how Moses responded in that moment, probably in his immaturity and his ununderstanding of what God actually wanted. But something that he saw drove him from observation to action. Now, let me, let me push pause for two minutes. Because we live in a culture right now where everybody wants to be an activist, right? We all, we all have, or maybe not all of us, but many people in our culture have these, you know, these social issues or these social justice issues. And they say, these are real things happening in our culture. And I'm not saying it's all evil and it's all wicked. I'm not saying that it's, that it's all that way. Here's what I am saying. As people of God, we better be careful not to succeed at the wrong things. Because our mandate is different than the world's mandate. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, Proverbs is clear. We should fight for those that have no voice. God loves justice. Like that's important to God. Those things, even in the, the fallen world in which we live, people are like, well, why didn't God create a perfect world? Well, he did. We screwed it up. Can I say that? Okay. I don't know if I can say screwed or not. We screwed it up. We messed it up. It's our fault, right? So we can work on that and put it together. I just want to caution us as we talk about what God wants us to do, because some of you have those burning things in you and you can't, I mean, we saw injustice this week, tragic injustice this week. And we've had enough, you know, like, I don't remember who said that. We've had enough. We've had enough, man. Our kids shouldn't be dying in their school. They just shouldn't. But we have to be careful because our kingdom mandate is not the same as an earthly mandate. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight for some of those things. And there shouldn't be some things that we put energy and effort to, but we have to be careful. It's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us manage those things that burn inside of us. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to, I'm not telling you which way to think and what to think, but it's, it, those things in right now in our culture turn so fast, they turn political and they turn divisive and they turn hateful. And that's the core of the problem anyway. So I'm just saying to you and to me, be careful that we don't succeed at the wrong things. There's, there's a, no greater risk, I think, as people of God than being successful at things that don't matter. The things that we give our life for are the things that are eternal. They're eternal things. So be careful about that. Okay, unpause, back to the message. So Moses, a few years later, so he, find, he kills this Egyptian and he flees into the desert because he needs to get away because he finds out, you know, like, you probably shouldn't have done that and you're going to be in big trouble. And so he runs to the desert and he lives in the desert for about 40 years. And in Exodus 3, we find him on the backside of the desert uh, tending his father-in-law's sheep. Now, I don't know if that fire that burned in Moses was still burning. 
I don't know if that fire that caused him to kill that Egyptian was still, you know, there were still embers there, or fi- you know, it was still, you know, he's still frustrated and angry, whatever, or if he had totally chilled out and he's just on the desert taking care of sheep now. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. What it does say is this, that God met him in a burning bush, which I think is interesting that, you know, Moses had this burning fire and now God meets him the same way with the fire that is not consuming the bush on the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. It's in verse two, and it says, uh, in him in a blazing fire in the middle of the bush, and Moses stared at it in amazement because it was burning but not consumed. And Moses said to himself, why isn't this bush burning up? That's a logical question. He must not have seen the angel. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, and he said, Moses! And Moses said, here I am. Who's calling me? And God said, don't come any closer. In fact, take off your sandals for where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God. Can I just pause and say, that's a revelation of God? Moses is had, do we just prayed about that? God, Moses is having a revelation of God. He never met the God of Isaac and Jacob and Israel. He was now meeting him. Moses heard this. He covered his face. And the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and precious land. It is a land flowing with milk. I mean, he's building up the land, right? It's an awesome, going to be an awesome place. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Stop right there. Because if you, so God might say that to you, something like that to you. And you say, yes, get them, God. Yes, God's finally going to do something about this place. And Moses, in his mind, as he listens to the word of the Lord, is no doubt thinking the same thing. He's like, awesome, God. I'm so glad that you've come down. I'm so excited to see what you're going to do. Man, this is going to be amazing. And then God speaks, verse 11. (laughs) Now you go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people out of Egypt. That's not what you said, God. You said that you came down so that you could lead them out of Egypt. What are you talking about me for? And we're not going to read the rest of the conversation, but he has that conversation with the angel and basically says, I know you've asked me to do this and you've put this call in my life, but I don't want to do that. What are you talking about? I can't go back to Egypt. Do you not remember the story, God? God, do you not remember who I am, God? You know, those are the same excuses that we make when God calls us, right? God, I don't think that you're calling the right person. Did you forget how messed up that I am? Did you forget how much sin is in my life? Did you forget the family I come from? Like, did you forget all? Like, God, I'm doing good just to, like, exist in this moment. Surely you're not calling me. And God says, I don't make mistakes. If I'm calling you, it's because you're the right one. 
That's what he says to Moses. And Moses makes all these excuses and tries to talk God out of it. But it doesn't work. Why? And I think this is one of the reasons. Because that day that Moses accomplished, succeeded in the wrong way, when he murdered the Egyptian, something started in him that I call and that Bill Hybels actually calls holy discontent. It's a discontent that is holy. It's not just a frustration over things that you don't like in our world or in our culture or in our system. It is a holy discontent. It's something that is maligning the kingdom of God, that is causing brokenness and difficulty in God's kingdom advancing. That's what makes it holy and not just grumpy. It's a holy discontent. It's a burning bush moment. Moses has an epiphany, a revelation of Christ or a revelation of God where this holy discontent, his holy discontent, his frustration aligns with God's frustration and things that God wants to correct. And now we have something. Now God has his emotion and his feelings and enacted through a person who is willing to say yes to him, who's willing to go the distance, who's willing to take the risk even though reluctantly. See, it's a calling that God puts on Moses' life, and it's a calling that God puts on our life, a thing that God has ordained, has planned, has purposed. You cannot escape it. In fact, I would submit this to you. The Bible says that the call of God is irrevocable. That doesn't necessarily mean what we always say that it means, that If you're in ministry in some way and you have a moral failing, you still have a call in your life. I believe that that is true, but I believe it's true for people who say no to the call. That the call of God is still on your life. God does not remove it. I've been convinced of this. The called are not born They are not groomed. They are not planned, at least not by human thought. They are not elected. The people that God calls are simply willing to say yes to him and take up the burdens that are burning deep in the heart of God to affect change in the kingdom of God and in the world. That's who God calls. And it begins the moment we believe. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. The moment you put your faith in God. And it's almost like this. If you read this, well, let's read the verse. And you, you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward because you're amazing no, so that nobody can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. But why? Why are we his masterpiece? So he can put us in his trophy case or hang us on the wall? No, we're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things, so that we can say yes to the call of God that he planned for us long ago. Here's what I'm saying. I think that before you come to faith in Christ, the moment you believe, there's almost a locked door on your true, real, authentic destiny with God. But the moment that you believe in him for salvation, he unlocks the door, and now the door swings wide, and all the things that he planned for you before you were born are laid out before you as possibility. 
Not a guarantee, but it's possibility. Why not a guarantee? Because you still have to say yes. You still have to, uh, and here's what many Christians do. We are saved. The door opens. God says, I've got all these things that I've created and planned for you to do. And, you know, maybe he gives you a glimpse of it and you look at it. And so many Christians say, no, thanks. You know, this believing place is really comfortable. I'll just hang out here. Mark Batterson says it this way. When did our goal in life become to arrive safely at death? When did it become our goal to cruise through life, make as much money as we can, raise our family, have a great time, and then arrive safely at death? Because it's not always been that way. We'll get to that in a little while. So I want you in your mind right now to go to that place in your life, that place where you met God, that place where he began to, uh, what I say, I say it this way, he began to initiate to you. He began to prod you. He began to put something in your life of passion and of drive for his kingdom or for orphans or for the lost people or for whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it was that he began to put into your heart. Go to that place again and remember what it was like to stand at the burning bush moment when God opened the door of possibilities to the call in your life? What did that feel like? What was that emotion like? And here's what I'm really asking. What is driving your relationship with God today? Are you driven? Are you passionate? Are you uh, I don't, excited is not a strong enough word. Are you embracing the call God placed in your life from before you were born while you were still in your mother's womb? The Bible says in Psalm 139, he planned all the days that you would live. He wrote them in his book. He put the calling on your life. He put a mantle on your life so that you would live your life for God and accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. That's always been his goal. Are you driven by that? Now you're here today. What is it? May 29th, 2022. It's either one day after you first met Jesus or maybe a thousand days, maybe 10,000 days. Why are you here? Why does it matter to you? Why does the kingdom matter to you? What is it that's in your heart? And I want to remind you, some of you are passionate about the kingdom of God. Some of you couldn't sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else plant seeds and water crops and bring in the harvest fields for the kingdom. Some of you could not stand that kids need, uh, didn't have the, the gospel in their life or that kids needed to find their way to Jesus. Some of you are driven so much by teenagers who are hurting and broken, you could not sit on the sidelines anymore. You had to do something about it. Some of you still today walk down the hallway of the unreached people groups and something in your heart stirs. I want you to remember the moment that God deposited that burning sensation, that holy discontent in your spirit. 
Why is it important to remember it? Because it's easy to forget the why and replace it with routine. It's easy to exchange our why for a simple what. Well, I'll show up and do this job and I'll serve in kids men or youth men or on the worship team or whatever because it's what I've done and now it's my routine. Now it's my what, but I'm disconnected from my why. Can I just say lovingly and kindly, the kingdom of God doesn't need any more hole fillers holding positions until their time is up. You know what the kingdom of God needs? The kingdom of God needs some fresh men and women called by God, anointed by God, standing in their mantle to do the work of the kingdom of God. And I don't care if you're 90 years old or nine years old, you can walk out your call. You can live in the call that God has on your life. We don't need any more hole fillers. We don't need anybody to sign up for mega sports camp just because Pastor Jim talked you into it. We need some men and women to step into a calling and find your holy discontent again. What is it which first pricked your heart? See, when you know your why, when you know what the purpose is, when you know that holy discontent is in your spirit, the Holy Spirit meets our discontent and empowers us to do the impossible. In fact, without holy discontent and the power of the Holy Spirit, the impossible can never happen. I would even say the mundane and the routine can never happen. It requires men and women who say yes to the call of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission. Nothing less. Amen, Pastor. So let me finish, and I mean that, by giving you five ways to maintain or even stoke that fire that Paul wrote to Timothy about. Remember what he said in 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, fan into flame. Fan into flame. You know, nothing about this walk with God and this ministry that we do, whatever it is, big, small, vocational, volunteer, whatever, nothing about it should be routine. Nothing about it should just be every day. It should be fanned into flame. So what are five things you can do? Here, just very quickly. Number one, never, ever, ever forget the Genesis moment. Never forget that moment when you first met him and the powerful things that he deposited into your spirit. Never forget that moment. Never get comfortable with how he saved you and why he saved you and from what he saved you. Always be amazed at the things God is doing in your life and changing and transforming in you. Never forget it. Never get comfortable with it. Number two, pursue God. Pursue God. Stop going through the routine of American Christianity and take a risk for the kingdom. Stop showing up week after week to be fed and get your fill. That's hard. I'm sorry. Not really. Absent pursuing the things, the person, and the power of God. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy. 
But if you can pursue the Lord, if you can make him your number one pursuit, what did Jesus say? If you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, not just the kingdom, but the righteousness of God, all these things will be added to you as well. He's the one who has called you and saved you. He knows how this thing should look. He knows what your life should be. Now, let me warn you. If you pursue God, if you throw the gauntlet down and you become a man or a woman of prayer, a man or a woman of his word, a man or a woman of worship, and you pursue the things of God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind, you better get ready because God is going to mess your life up. He's going to call you to the mission field. I'm looking for a church planter for for Fowler. He's going to call you to Fowler to plant a church. He's going to call you to pastor a broken church in some other state. He's going to call you to give your life to youth. They're not heads. No offense. He's going to call you to love seniors in a way that no one else is. He's going to call you to do the work of an evangelist. He's going to call you to do all kinds of things that don't fit nicely into your life. So if you don't want God to mess up your life, then don't seek him. But let me just say, seek the Lord. Can I say, the best thing about my life is that he's royally messed it up. That's the best part of our life. That's the best part. That's the adventure that he calls us to. It's powerful. He will mess you up. Seek God. Pursue God. Number three, trust his empowerment. Acts 1.8 says the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses. They spoke in tongues, the flames of fire, the whole thing happened, and you'll be my witnesses in all the world. And the leader in the book, it says these people turned the world upside down. You think our world could handle maybe a little upside downness lately? What's it going to take? Spirit-filled, empowered believers. You can't reason your way through it, college people. You can't explain it all away. You can't fit it nicely into your understanding. It doesn't work like that. That's not faith. You have to accept the things that you can't understand. Well, I don't know why God does it. Why tongues? I don't know. You tell, I, I don't know. God's never answered that question for me. So next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and I'll be preaching on Pentecost. And many of you who've never been filled with the Holy Spirit will be filled next Sunday morning if you'll ask. Many of you who have not been filled in a really long time will be refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? If you'll engage that, he'll transform everything. Nothing will be the same for you. God will do things in your life. Embrace the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Number four, never, ever believe, ever, listen to me, never, ever believe that your work doesn't matter. Never, ever believe that your work doesn't matter. The lie the enemy will tell to your heart that you are not important in the kingdom of God, that you're not vital to the work of the kingdom, that what you are or what you do or the little volunteering that you're able to do or whatever, that that doesn't matter. Taking care of your kids doesn't matter. Honoring your spouse doesn't matter. All those little things the enemy will lie to you about. Can I just say, all your work in the kingdom matters. It all matters from the least of us to the greatest. 
And lastly, don't be content with your holy discontent. Don't get content with where you are, how far you've come with the Lord, what he's doing in your life. Always fan into flame the gift of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. Why? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love. And the right translation, self-discipline. That's a hard one, isn't it? We could preach a series on self-discipline. The power of God is in you. Here's the last scripture I want to read, and I'm going to skip most of it, whoever's running the, the slides. The end of Hebrews 11, it goes through the a litany list of people we don't know their names who did amazing things for God. And then it tells us about people that died for the faith and hurt for the faith. And I love what it says. They were, it's, it's in Hebrews 11. I'm looking for the verse number. Uh, maybe this would help. It doesn't have it. It's anyway, it's, it's, toward, it's like verse 38. And it says, they, these people who said yes to God, who responded to the call of God, whatever it took, whatever it cost them, they had great victories and great setbacks and great problems, but all the things that God did in their life, he empowered them, he strengthened them. They did unbelievable works of faith. They, it says this, they were too good for the world. The world was not worthy of these men and women of God. They didn't even receive the promise. They didn't get the reward on earth. He says that only with us, in partnership with us, could their faith be perfected and can we come together in the things of God. It's all the saints in all of history who stepped out for God, who said yes to God. Together our faith is complete. So, what's your holy discontent? What's the place of your life? You can't ignore anymore. What's the call of God that you've put on the back burner? What is he stirring in you even in this very moment? I thought of three things primarily. Maybe there's holy discontent in the mediocrity of your own spiritual life. Maybe you're tired of going through the motions. You're tired of just showing up here and there. You're tired of it all. You're tired of feeling the way you feel about the things of God. And I just tell you, you have two choices. You can abandon it completely and abandon the faith, or you can press in if you want to feel different. If you want God to do new things. Maybe there's a holy discontent in some area of the kingdom of God that you need to do something about. Man, I've really been thinking about uh, volunteering in this, or this ministry or that ministry or going to the prisons or you know, going to the homeless shelter. I've really been thinking about those things and I've really got a burden for that stuff, but I haven't stepped into it yet. Maybe today you need to step into it. Or maybe there's a holy discontent in your heart because God is calling you into ministry. He's actually calling you to missions or to youth ministry, or kids ministry, or worship ministry, or men's and women's ministry, or discipleship, or church planting, or senior adults, or pastoring, or church planting, or leading people, or just, or maybe even just a call to stand beside the people that do say yes to that call.
I believe God is stirring things in your heart. So I'm going to pray. And while I pray, I want to ask you to hear, to sense he's a spirit. So we sense him in our spirit. What is he stirring in your heart? Father, thank you. I believe the call of God is still active. I believe you're still calling men and women to ministry. I believe you're still calling men and women to volunteer opportunities. I believe you're still calling men and women to respond to the kingdom of God and do the things that you're asking them to do. You're stirring even in this moment the heart of some of these folks for a calling beyond what they've thought of, beyond what they've considered, beyond what they've dreamed. God, you're not mad at them for delaying. You're not mad at them for uh, not stepping out sooner. But God, you're asking them now. You're offering now again as we stand at that open door. You're offering them to take a step and acknowledge, yep, I feel a call. I sense a call, God. I don't know what it's all going to mean. I don't know what it's going to look like. And I'll just tell you, God won't tell you either. So don't ask him. But Lord, I believe that you're speaking to some people's lives right now. I want to ask all over the room to stand to your feet everywhere, balcony to the floor. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And here's my question. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, there's definitely something stirring in me for my own spiritual life to walk close, closer to Christ, to be saved, to be fully engaged, to really pursue God, to really go after him and see what it is that God has for me. And I've just held that back. I've just not, I've not let that power and that emotion, that spirit, that discontent that I feel, I've not let it just be released and activated in my life. And I've held back for, it doesn't even matter why, but I've held back. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe somebody in the church offended you. Maybe whatever, fill in the blank, doesn't matter at all. But you say today, that's got to change. That's got to change today. And I've got to begin to pursue God again. Would you slip your hand up all over the room? Come on, if that's you, thank you. Thank you. Hands up all over the room. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I've got to activate my faith in doing work in the kingdom. I've got to stop dying on the wrong hills. I've got to stop succeeding at things that don't matter. I've got to align my faith and my spirit with the things of the Lord so that I can allow this holy discontent and the power of the Holy Spirit to be activated in my life to serve the kingdom of God. If that's you all of the room, I want you to lift your hand. Come on, just acknowledge it to the Lord. Thank you. Others, all of the room, many hands all of the room. All right, last. You're here today. And you know there's a call in your life for ministry. You know it. You sense it right now. You feel it in your bones. There's something in your life. There's something in your heart. You may not know what, but you know there's a call. You don't know what it'll take necessarily and what you're going to have to do. Maybe you're an older person and that call was many years ago and you've run from it. You've kind of pushed it off and pushed it aside and God is stirring you right now because that call is irrevocable. He's never removed it from you. There's a call on your life to ministry. If I'm talking to you, I want you to raise your hand, but I want you to look at me. Where are you? Thank you. Look at me. It's a call in your life. It's a call in your life. It's a call on your life. 
Jesus, you see these hands, men and women, old and young, hearing and sensing and feeling something stir in them. Speak. Confirm. Empower. All right, if you raised your hand for anything at all, I want you to make your way to the front. Come on, would you come right now? I want you to come. This is an act of surrender. God, I raise my hand. I got to change something. I got to do something. I got to activate something. I don't know what it is, what you're going to ask, but would you come? Come on, you raise your hand. Holy discontent in your heart. Come on, I want you to come. Make your way. Lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, wherever you're at. Don't stay back. If you raised your hand, come on. Lift your hands to the Lord and surrender. All you've got to do is surrender. God, I'm yours. I don't know what it'll take. I don't know what the call is. I don't know what I'll have to sacrifice. I don't know what I'll have to say yes to, but I want to say yes. And I'm telling you, God, right now, I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to lay down those things. I'm willing to sacrifice my career. I'm willing to give up my plans. I'm willing to lay down my dreams to respond to you, God. I know there's a call in my life. And I say yes to you. Come on, all over the room, would you lift your hands to the Lord and say yes to God. Come on, let's worship him right now. Worship him. God, I say yes to you. I worship you, God. And in security, I can say yes because you will be faithful. You will be faithful. You will walk with us. You will be beside us. You'll never abandon us, God. Whatever it is, you're with us. We say yes to you, God. We say yes to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Holy Spirit, break down every barrier. Break down every barrier right now. Break down every barrier in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, just let the Holy Spirit work in your heart right now. Let him work in your heart. Let him work in your heart. Thank you, Father. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We honor you today. We honor your call. We honor your call today, God. We honor that sacred calling to serve in ministry, to volunteer, to give of our time and energy and efforts. God, we honor that. We recognize that calling. Thank you, Jesus. 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 to the Lord. Just surrender. I give you all that I am. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my soul. Jesus. 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 Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. I don't want
want you to stop pursuing the Lord. If you're here at the altar, just hang. If you're out there, maybe, and I just, maybe the Lord just said this to me, but man, if you're just indifferent, you're like, man, I want to have a holy discontent. I want to be passionate about something, but I just, I just don't feel that about anything. Can I just say to you, the Holy Spirit wants to deposit that in you. He wants to give you something to be passionate about. So Lord, I just pray that you would begin to deposit in everyone, God, who feels like that, that power, that discontent, God, reveal them, open, open their eyes to an injustice, to a thing, God, in the kingdom of God that they can do something about. Help them to see it in the world, in America, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, even in our own families. Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that in some folks you would resurrect a dead calling. Resurrect a dead calling. Resurrect a dormant discontentedness. We just want to build your kingdom. Help us, Father. 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 Jesus. 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 happening at our altars, many being touched by the Lord, but if you need to go, God bless you. I love you. I hope you have a great day. I don't want to hold you longer. If you're ready and you need to go, God bless you. I love you. Please come next week. It's going to be a great Sunday. Let's hang out here for a little while. Our worship team will lead us in worship.